Hey y'all, it's Carmen. Thank you for joining me for the Let's Be Real podcast. What has been going on with you these last few days? Look, I am loving the spring weather. We are having it here in Georgia. It's so lovely, the mid-70s temperatures, breezy and sunny. I'm sure this will be what the weather will be like in heaven. Let's get on with it. Today, you are joining me on what is our fourth talk in a series we are calling Irresistible Faith. So several years ago, my family had gathered together to celebrate a brother-in-law's graduation with earning his master's in business. We were all so proud of him and wanted to give him the support in this very important moment. We made arrangements to eat at a local restaurant right down the street from the college campus where his graduation ceremony was held. Someone in the party decided to order a few appetizers. Once they were brought to the table, one was placed near my mom. It was sliced Italian bread and bruschetta with some brown glaze drizzle on top. It looked appetizing, irresistible, you might say. So she fixed a piece and popped it in her mouth. About five seconds into the experience, she made this horrible face and let out this horrible sounding shriek. Okay, I may be exaggerating a bit, but those of us sitting near her thought she was dying. Turns out that that brown glaze drizzle on top was not what she was expecting. I am not sure if she thought it was going to be sweet or savory, but balsamic glaze is the furthest thing from sweet or savory. Let's just say that was the first and last piece of that appetizer she ate. I doubt she has eaten any bruschetta since. Beyond the entertainment factor, why do I tell you that story? Because sometimes our lives can be like that bruschetta. We can look on the outside like we have it all together. Our lives could have that irresistible appeal to those around us, but someone will not really know us until they get near us and experience us. And sometimes when that happens, we can leave a bitter and horrible taste in someone's mouth especially do not behave like they thought we would. Another way to put that is what fruit are we producing from the heart and soul of who we are? Fruit. It's an interesting concept, one which God addresses a great deal in Scripture. The truth is that today's talk will not even scratch the surface of what Scripture outlines and teaches us about a person's, quote, fruit. All of our lives bear fruit. The question we must ask, is it good fruit or bad fruit? I'm going to break down the differences between the two and how we can identify which fruit we produce. First off, what is fruit? Fruit is the evidence of the life and vitality of the vine or of the tree. The evidence of the health of the seed and the diligent care of the gardener. A healthy growing tree will produce fruit. There is no maybes about that one. The idea of fruit is a principle that was present in the beginning. Where else but in the garden? God spoke to Adam and Eve about fruit in Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. The first command God gave to Adam and Eve we find in Genesis 1, 28. He tells them to, quote, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. From the beginning, it was God's intent that we be a people who were fruitful, full of fruit, full of life, full of the evidence of living in a covenant relationship with the Creator. We also see the principle of fruit in chapter 2, 
of Genesis. We see in verses 8 and 9 that God made some trees and plants to bear fruit for food for the humans. Quote, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God gives Adam another command in verses 15 and 16. He says, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. So far, so good for Adam and Eve, right? Well, let's look at chapter 3 to see where it goes off the rails. Verses 1 through 7 says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden? The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it, or you will die. The serpent said to the woman, You surely will not die, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. Enter the quote bad fruit from stage left. Up until this point, all the fruit had been, quote, good, perfect, in fact. Now we have the good fruit versus bad fruit scenario in our story. The fruit of sin versus the fruit of faith. Can we blame Adam and Eve? The fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food. Isn't it a good thing to know the difference between good and evil? From where I'm sitting, the answer is yes. But I am not God, and neither are you. So we cannot answer that question. The evidence of Adam and Eve's life and confidence in the commands of God at this moment was one of faithless fruit. The seed of faith had been planted, but it was vulnerable, and Satan attacked. All throughout the Old Testament, God continues to instruct His children about the principles of fruit. Through the books of Psalms, Proverbs, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Hosea, and Amos, God urges the people to the realization that their lives bear fruit, good or bad, righteous, unrighteous, pious, or poor. All show evidence of their spiritual state, their fruit. Generation from generation, we see that the fruit is rotten in the lives of God's people. When we flip the, pa- when we flip the page to the New Testament, Jesus in his earthly ministry continues the instruction of his Father as it pertains to fruit. Let's look at Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45. Before I do that, let me set the scene for you. Careful not to take Jesus' words out of context. Jesus and his many disciples and the twelve apostles were on a mountain. Many had come to Jesus to be healed of diseases and cured from evil spirits. After he had met their needs, he turned to his disciples and began teaching them about the topics of God's kingdom economy, loving your enemies, criticizing or judging others, 
and foundations of a well-built house. In the midst of those teachings, we find the teaching of the principle of fruit of a person's life. Let's read it now. Verse 43. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognized by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For out of the overflow of his heart, the mouth speaks. What is Jesus saying? Like the balsamic drizzle on my mom's bruschetta, we can only fool folks for so long. From a distance, our, quote, tree or our life may look like a tree of irresistible fruit, good for food and pleasing to the eye. But as they come closer and experience us, our true fruit will either confirm or betray the impression we have made from afar. The notes for these verses in my study Bible relay this truth. Quote, Jesus reminds us that our speech and actions reveal the true underlying beliefs, attitudes, and motivations. The good impressions we try to make cannot last if our hearts are deceptive. What is in your heart will come out in your speech and behavior. If we want good fruit to be produced, we must we best allow the gardener to cultivate good in us. Let's look at John 15 to bring this point home. In verses 1 through 17, Je- Jesus tells us the real makeup of a, quote, tree connected to him. I won't read all of the verses, but please take some time to read, study, and meditate on them when you have some time. Verses 1 and 2 says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be more fruitful. After this truth bomb, Jesus continues by commanding his followers to, quote, remain in him. Eleven times in these 17 verses, he says, remain in me. So how do we bear good fruit? By staying, abiding, living, and remaining in Jesus. What about this pruning he talked about? Sounds painful to me. It is. But it's necessary for us to, quote, bear much fruit. A tree wanting to bear fruit does not resist the pruning and trust that the gardener knows what he is doing. Just a side note. I am the furthest thing from a gardener. I have the blackest thumb there is. I can look at a poor plant and it will die on the spot. It would rather die than spend any time with me as its caretaker. But all that being said, I do have several rose bushes that have survived in our yard, more so from Brian's care and not mine. But every week they require pruning to bring forth more flowers. Never in my years of pruning and cutting off the branches that are not producing has one of those rose bushes stopped my hand and said, hang on, you're not doing it right, let me. But often in our lives, we say that to God in his pruning process. God, you're not doing it right. Let me. I've done it. I'm sure I'm not the only one. So we need to not resist the pruning God wants to do. If we are connected to the vine, which is Jesus, remaining in his strength, 
we can rest that the pruning is not to hurt us, but to bring forth more fruit than we can even imagine. So what fruit is it that we will produce if we remain in the vine? Galatians 5, 22 and 23 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Second Peter 1, verses 5 through 8 further tells us that the fruit of progression in Christ is faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Who is the fruit for? Is it for ourselves? Is it for others? Not really. Romans 7, 4, Philippians 1, 9 through 11, and Colossians 1, 10 tells us that the fruit we produce is for God. It's a pleasing gift to Him, somewhat of a continuation of the sacrifice we talked about last week. Okay, so let's bring this thing home. Look at with me at Revelation 22, 1 through 3. And this is so encouraging. It says, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The fruit that evil perverted in the Garden of Eden is the fruit that God will redeem and restore in the new Jerusalem. Restored to its original state before the original sin severed access to it. Don't you see that the fruit of our lives is a reflection of who we trust in and rely on? Is it good or evil? God or sin? Walking in the Spirit or walking with myself? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for this teaching on fruit. God, forgive us where we have relied on ourselves. We have relied on the sin that we found ourselves in. And we've relied on our own ways. God, would you help us to remain connected to your son, Jesus, the vine? And then would you help us to not resist the pruning process? And God, would you help us to bear much fruit for your glory and for the good of those around us? God, we love you and we thank you for this message. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We end our discussion on irresistible faith right here. Faith is not perfection. It's a progression toward becoming like the one who created us. A fancy church word for that is sanctification. As we think back on the last few episodes, we can really see these truths in this analogy. Our life is like a tree. A seed of faith was planted. That seed must surrender to the soil to grow and establish roots. This is discipleship after salvation. Once the tree is established and beginning to grow, it must sacrifice to the pruning of the gardener in order to bear fruit. 
A seed of faith planted should grow into a tree of faith and therefore bear fruit of faith. On the flip side, if a seed of sin is planted and takes root, it will grow into a tree of sin and then bear fruit of sin. Which seems more irresistible? To me, I'm going to stick with faith, relying on the gardener to care and cultivate me into the tree he would have me to be, bearing good fruit for his glory evidence of the gardener's hand in my life. What about you? What tree would you like to be? All right, y'all. Thank you for joining me today for the Let's Be Real podcast. I sure hope you have been encouraged by our talk. Talking about fruit for so long has made me hungry. I think I'll go grab some strawberries or a yummy tangerine and enjoy the sweetness it brings to my taste buds. I don't think I'll be going for any balsamic drizzle on bruschetta anytime soon. (laughs) Join me next week as we start a new series. I hope you'll meet me right back here then. If you have been blessed by this podcast, please rate us, subscribe, and share with a friend. I would also love to hear from you. You can email me at berealcarmen at gmail.com. Let me know where you are listening from and how I can be praying for you. This is Carmen. Go be real. The world needs to see it.